Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a living clean study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, Living Clean. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide a commentary of the text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then our participation will be well worth the effort. We'll have the introductions, and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is a Living Clean Study for the Anonymous podcast. This is episode 40. I'm going to begin on the bottom of page 139 with, with the base of intimacy. Uh, but first, I want to give our introductions. So, Jennifer W., jump in. Introduce yourself, please. Thanks, Douglas. My name is Jennifer, and I'm an addict. My clean date is November 27th, 1992, and I attend meetings in Sacramento, California. Thanks, Jennifer. What's up, Brian? Hello, everyone. My name is Brian B. I'm an addict. My clean date is November 18th, 2019. I attend meetings in southwestern Pennsylvania, and my home group is the Sunday morning literature meeting of NA. Thanks, Brian. What's up, Barb? Hey, Douglas, I'm Barbar. I live in the panhandle of Florida. My clean date is 10-4-95, and my home group is Open Mind in New Orleans on um, a hybrid meeting. Thanks, Barb. What's up, Jane? Hey, Jane A here. Clean dates 12-22-79, and I have meetings here in the Salem, Oregon area. My home group is the Thursday noon basic text study. Thanks, Jane. What's happening, Paul? Hi, I'm Paul M. I'm an addict, and uh, I uh, attend meetings in New Orleans, Louisiana. My clean date is January 6, 1995, and my home group is Open Mind as well. Thanks, Paul. What's up, Eva? Hi, everybody. Eva P. here. Uh, my clean date is June 10, 2000. I attend meetings in the mid Willamette Valley area of Narcotics Anonymous, and my home group is the Do It Hard meeting. All right. Thanks, Eva. What's up, Lee P.? Hey, Douglas. I'm Lee. I'm an addict. And uh, my clean date is August 27, 1987. I attend meetings in New Orleans. And my home group is the Open Mind Hybrid Group of NA. Thanks. Right. Thanks, Lee. And our guest this evening, our returning guest this evening, Scotty H. What's happening, Scotty? Hey, you guys. Hey, Doug. Uh, my name is Scotty. I'm an addict. I am from Lake Charles, Louisiana. My clean date is April 26, 2014. And my group is, my home group is the Agape Group of Lake Charles. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks, Scotty. And I'm addict. Name's Douglas. I'm going to clean March 12th, 2000 in Southwestern PA. I stay in the Raleigh, North Carolina area now. All right, here we go. Episode 40, page 139, all the way at the bottom with the base of intimacy. And Jane's going to facil facilitate tonight. Take it away, Jane. Yay. Thanks, Douglas. Yes. Let's get started here. Lee, you want to read me a couple of paragraphs and comment? Thank you, Jane. Yes, absolutely. Uh, with the base of intimacy and safety in the fellowship, it can be easier to venture out into the world. Learning to live and serve by the tradition gives us particular skills that are very welcome outside the rooms. Willingness, honesty, belief in unity, and faith in the process makes us valuable wherever we choose to serve. We know how to make ourselves useful 
how to be teachable and how to show respect and allow others to speak. Being able to focus on a primary purpose and work creatively toward it is so much a part of our way of life that we may not realize how highly valued that is in the world at large. Learning to serve gives us skills to lead, but it's in our relationship inside NA that a particular kind of work happens. And that's one of the reasons that it is so important for us to plug into the fellowship. With all our talk about NA as the last house on the block or the place we need to be, or the place where we are always welcome no matter what, we sometimes lose track of what a beautiful thing we have. When we allow others to see our recovery and what it means to have a fellowship in our lives, we are sometimes surprised at how attractive it is. It's not unusual for us to hear a non-addict sigh, I wish I had what you all have. They can see the beauty of the gift, but they may not understand the stakes in our membership or what we had to go to go through to earn our seat. If they are fortunate, they will never understand that. We can be glad for their good fortune, even as we are grateful that we have what we do. And that that uh, that first paragraph and that second paragraph rings really true. I can remember uh, probably when I had about seven or eight years, I'd gotten a really big promotion. Um, and only one person inside the, the firm uh, knew knew my my <laughs> my membership in NA about my membership in NA, and and I was always blown away when we would be in the boardroom and they would, you know, one of the senior partners would stop the meeting and say, "Well, Lee, what do you think about this?" And I would be like, "Uh, can we take five and 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 come right back and." They'll be like, yeah, sure, let's get some coffee. And I would go in the bathroom and I would literally get on my knees and, and I, I would pray to my higher power uh, for direction. And, and, I, and I learned to do that because, because of my membership in NA. And of course, I would go back with, with some sort of an answer or uh, a way to steer the ship. And turned out I, was, I ended up being the goose that laid all the golden eggs. So, so my value to them was, was very high, but it was eight years before that, I was a train wreck. I was a, a hope to die drug addict. I didn't have any hope. I didn't have any faith. I didn't have any guidance. I was an untethered whirling dervish as, as I was called when I first got here. Um, and in the second paragraph, I have actually had someone say that to me, that they wish they had what I have. And the next couple sentences uh, hit really hard about how high our, our stakes are. Uh, someone was sharing in, in my home group last night that someone they knew had just died a couple few weeks ago. Um, Douglas, Douglas speaks to our recovery not being fragile and uh, my recovery isn't. And, and I've had a long time to build that up. Um, and so I felt, I felt someone's emotions last night and uh, 
you know, we've earned our seat. And if they are fortunate, they will never understand what all I had to go through uh, to gain this seat. So that, that's plenty out of me, Jane. Thank you. Thanks, Lee. About anybody else? Go ahead, Jennifer. I think the, the part that I highlighted that hit the most for me was when we allow others to see our recovery and what it means to have a fellowship in our lives, we're surprised how attractive it is. And I have experienced this on several occasions where I have some friends outside of the program and they, you know, every time I've had a big deal go on in my life and good and bad, right? Birthday parties, birth, you know what I mean? Celebrations of recovery, um, you know, and then sad things, you know, deaths and, and hard times when they see the fellowship kind of, you know, rally behind you. I've heard several times that, you know, like you're so lucky to have such a big support system. Like, and, and I, I get those that from my coworkers sometimes too, cause I'll start talking about my friends and listing off these things. And they're like, how do you have so many friends? And, you know, and, and, and a lot of people know that I'm in the 12 step program and some don't. So I just, you know, I say what I say to, you know, it's part of a spiritual process or whatever, but the one thing that I, and it, and it talks about being grateful for is that I don't ever want to forget that with everything that I've done to get here, right. All the yuck and the muck and the, and the hole that I dug, like the gifts outweigh that today, you know, and, um, and I don't want to forget about those gifts. Cause it would be easy to say, well, I have 30 people I can call and on a dime, they would come and support me or they would come, you know what I mean? Help me or whatever, but not everybody's as fortunate, you know? And, um, and, and the really awesome thing is, is that my few friends outside of recovery that I have have kind of latched on to some of the people in recovery and like they go out and they do stuff. And it's kind of weird to see the world intertwine with the friends that are, no, you know, normies are not really normal, but um, I don't know anybody that's really normal, but um, and it's really cool, right, to have that extension you know, step outside of the fellowship and go out into the world, you know, outside of the rooms. And, and that's just one of the, the blessings that we get here. And it's one of those things that I never want to take for granted because um, it's, it's, it's one of the keys to my foundation. It's one of the things that helps me stick and stay. So I'll pass with that. Thanks. Cool. Anybody else? Go ahead, Barb. I'll share, and I'm kind of emotional, so I hope I don't get blubbering. But, you know, I, I like a couple of these parts here. Um, what it means to have a fellowship in our lives. We are surprised somehow at how attractive it is. You know, that's all I have is, is to live the principles and live the fellowship and and hope it that, that it's attractive to somebody else, you know, some other addict. But I'm just sitting here thinking and grateful because all that I'm going through right now, you guys taught me, you know. You guys taught me when I came in, I couldn't face death because my first son died when he was six and um, my disease was taking off and it was so horrendous and I hated God. I told God, fuck you. So I couldn't face death. You guys have taught me to walk through death. You know, you've taught me to have a conscience. You've taught me, you know, I got, I got a feral cat laying right here. I do feral cats. I fix them. I feed them. They remind me of me. They remind me of the streets. It's rough. You know, they come up looking rough, hungry you know, and it takes me back, you know, well, I got this cat now that, that came up about a month ago and um, he's sick. And um, I took him to the vet yesterday and he has HIV and he's in renal failure. 
you know. And, um, you know, you guys have taught me that um, when Lee was talking about praying, I was praying because I hate this shit to decide when I to, I'm not HP and I might have to decide when to put this cat down, you know, and my sponsor tells me that we help them live and then we help them build and then we watch them and they'll show us and then we help them die, you know. And every time I go through this, too, I face my own mortality, you know, but it's because of you guys that I can do this, that I'm not running, that I got this cat laying here, that I can cry when the vet, I've known this cat, it, it came up because I say we're the homeless shelter for cats, you know, feral cats here, me and this girl across from me, I'm, I'm no shit, I'm not kidding you. And this cat came up probably a month, six weeks ago, you know, and then, and, and when the vet told me today that that stuff, I started crying, you know. I didn't cry. I couldn't even feel when I came in here, you know, and that I can cry for another sentient being, you know, that, that, you know, and, and, um, you know, it's just so awesome, you know, and you guys, the, the topic last night was courage, you know, that I have the courage to walk through this and do this and stay close to you guys and stay close to my HP. Cause this is, you know, when I sponsor a girl, when I do something like this, this is, I don't take this shit lightly. You know, I don't want to decide when something else dies, you know, I don't want that. You know, today I don't want to be in control. You know, I can do a third step and turn it over. But um, but then it's so beautiful too. You know, this is the things that I that when I use the world was so ugly, you know. And guess what? The world can still be so ugly. But then I see, then I go to that convention. And when I saw that countdown, we make me so proud. And we just set my soul on fire. When I saw that countdown and them doing that arts for all the newcomers and everybody, and, and that it was real, it wasn't phony. People, I would pass people and I would feel the love and see the realness, you know, not that phony shit, you know, that sometimes we get, you know, so that's what I mean. That's life. I get to feel that. I get to feel that joy because I feel this, because I walk through this, this pain, you know. And this uh, empathy for, for, you know, show, show this cat the empathy, the empathy that you guys have shown me, you know, no matter what it is, it's a living, it's a living creature, you know, so I'm so grateful to have this way to live and to be able to do this, you know, and to be able to care and to be able to walk through life on life's terms and to be able to face the ugly and turn to you guys and see the beauty, you know, or maybe even see the beauty in the ugly, you know. Because I, I had to euthanize a cat and I saw the light go out in that cat's eye. And I thought, what the fuck is spiritual about this? And then you know what I thought next? Something put that light in there, Barb. Something put that light in there. You know, and that's what you guys have taught me. You know, there's always the yin and the yang or the, you know, the good and the bad. So I'm so grateful to be in recovery and to have you guys and to, to know how to live. Today, I got a, I got a little bit of of a glimmer of being able to live life on life's terms and have relationships. And that's pretty awesome. So thanks. Thanks, Barb. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, thanks, Jane. I just wanted to share real quick. And, um, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, um, my regular birthday, you know, turning 40 this weekend, past weekend, and then Easter and how it, uh, you know, those are such good days in my life and then come turn around like tomorrow april 20th it'll be um you know four years since my dad passed away and and for those of you that know me you know my, my dad and i were like two peas in a pod like where he was i was i took care of him up until his last day but like when he passed away i was in active addiction and i remember when he passed like i would have i would have given anything to be a part of a fellowship like i am now just to have that 
feeling of, of someone that actually cared, you know, just besides my like immediate family. And um, just remember being so lonely and like wanting to call someone and having no one to talk to because all my friends were using, using acquaintances, you know what I mean? What, what am I going to do? Call them up and tell them about how I just lost the most important person in my life. I don't think they're going to care too much, you know, but now like these last couple of years, you know, I, I know it's a tough day and it's going to be tough tomorrow, but like, here's what I've learned. Like I can remember him in a positive way, you know, remember everything that he, he did for me when he was alive. And like, I don't, I don't have to make it a sad day. And even if I get sad, you know, I, I know I could pick up the phone. I can call my sponsor. I could call anybody, you know, in my support group and, and they're just going to listen. You know, they'll, they'll let me talk all I want and just be the ear that I need to have. And like, I try to make that, you know, the same way whenever one of my friends is in the struggle, man. Like, I don't have to be the one that talks all the time. You know, I could just be that the ear to listen, you know, and I, I've learned all that by the end, you know, from the NA Fellowship, you know, and um, how, how I could take these principles that we practice in here and take them out to the outside world, you know, like it talks about coming up. And, uh, you know, it seems like the more plugged in I am to the fellowship, you know, the people around me, you know, not only myself, but the people around me seem to reap the benefits of it, you know, so that it is a really beautiful thing that we have and not to be taken for granted by any means. So uh, thanks for uh, letting me share our past. Okay, we're ready. Move on here. Okay, Jennifer, you want to start us off with at the bottom of page 140, we learn to care and share. Sure, do you want me to go into family or just read that one last paragraph in this one? Go on into family. Okay. We learn to care and share with others, even though the boundaries can be very different with people outside. The principles we learn in our recovery can be practiced in all our affairs. Honesty and sincerity are almost always appreciated. We sometimes think that we have the market cornered on pain, but other people have their stories too. When we share with them, we discover that we have much <clears throat> to learn from each other. Uh, our relationship with our families can be present, can present some of our biggest challenges. There is never only one set of feelings about our family members. There are times when we see our childhood only through rose-colored glasses and other times when we forget that there was any joy or value there at all. The list of real and imagined hurts on both sides can be hard to get past. Whether or not they are still in our lives, our relationship to our family is a critical matter for most of us. Hmm. Well, I'm gonna talk about family because that's the one that hit home for me the most. Um, when I got clean, my mother presented uh, the biggest challenge for me. And I blamed her for pretty much everything that was wrong with my life. And, um, and the one person was my father who was the drunk, who was absent for a long time and then got sober and, and came back into my life was somehow, you know, an angel or something like that. I don't know. It was really twisted anyway. So the, the, um, the entitled, ungrateful, you did this to me, like I lived that life, you know, through my using and in the beginning of my recovery. And 
and completely unaware of how selfish and self-centered I was and all of the harm and worry and fear. And I mean, you know, I don't even think my mom knows all of my story. I don't think I want her to know um, because it's terrifying as a mother today. It is terrifying to think about if my daughters were to do the things that I did while I was using. And I completely glossed over that for a really long time. Now, here I am today, you know, um, I'm 46 years old and up until probably six years ago, I still let that relationship dominate how I felt, you know, um, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't a good enough mom. I wasn't a good enough wife. I wasn't a good enough this. I wasn't a good enough that, you know, and all of that was just work I had to do. And I had mended, you know, a lot of the relationships within my family, the people that I'd stole from, like that seemed like an easier process to deal with than um, this one that is very sticky. And, 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 you know, I went through and did a lot of Al-Anon over the years. And what I found is, is that no matter what, doesn't matter which family member it is, it doesn't matter actually which friend it is, but in this terms and family member, my mother is not going to stop being who she is. And the only thing I can do is change me, period. And all of a sudden, I don't have a challenge anymore. It's amazing how this works, right? And, um, and it, it really tied in for me in, in, in the, you know, what I've learned in Narcotics Anonymous is really what, what she thinks of me isn't really any of my business, even if she feels like she needs to tell me. And um, it doesn't have to affect or change my actions or my behavior. You know, it's that whole, like, I don't react anymore. I respond when appropriate and when not appropriate, I don't say anything and keeping my mouth shut um, and, and keeping my opinion to myself. I don't like her giving her my opinion, her opinion about me, but I want to give her all of my opinions. You know, it's that weird little thing. I just, it's so, it's the freedom that I get in not tying what my childhood looked like to what my today is. Um, was like a really hard hurdle for me to get over, but man, but once I was there, I was like, I'm not ever going back on this one again. And, and really the relationship that I have today with most of my family members is all good. It's good with my mom. It isn't anything that I feel sour or bitter or, you know, ungrateful about. And on, on honestly today, I am grateful that I have the capacity to be compassionate and empathetic as she gets older, as she's aging and her, you know, her mental faculties are deteriorating she trusts me and believes me and comes to me when she needs something. And, you know, she couldn't do that for me when I was growing up, but I can do that for her today um, as part of my, you know, lifelong amends to make, you know, for all the crap that I put her through when I, you know, was using. So uh, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Jennifer. Douglas. Hey, thanks, Jane. I'll make some comments on the first paragraph that Jennifer read to wrap up the, uh, the relationships outside in a, I think that paragraph's really cool. It sums up a lot of, of what we were reading about in, in our last episode there um, too. And, and I think the cool thing about this is um, that I, I've definitely, the first sense, I've definitely learned how to care for other people and to share with others, to hold conversations that are, that are meaningful with other people. And, and uh, the one cool thing about learning from, from other people uh, I have a relationship with, with somebody outside of, of NA. It's a very difficult one for me. This man, I feel like this man um, 
I mean, it's always personal, like in my mind, you know, so I feel like this man, per, you know, is set out when he wakes up, he's like, how can I make today a little bit difficult for Douglas? And so, you know, having some recovery in my life, though, it's like, I don't, I don't need to bump him when I walk past him. That's what I want to do. I want to kind of, you know, lean into him and stuff like this. And I don't need to, to go at him. I was talking with my sponsor today. And th this man is put into my life. This is how I'm choosing to look at it. My sponsor talks to me about, hey, instead of this man being looking at this man as a barrier in my life, it's actually a doorway. And man, it just felt so much. I felt so much at peace hearing that sentence. It was like, HP has something to teach me. And this man right now is, is the teacher. It's the vessel that, that I don't know what the lesson is right now, man, but it's something and I'm good with it. It was like that, mo you know, when you hear that thing and it's like, God damn, that's right. It's to, to say this about it, it was like I was I had this foggy pair of glasses on and then I just wiped the fog off. Man, it, it, it was just cool. It's a change of perspective that I had with that. So anyway, and then and then the, the comment I'll make on the family paragraph. I, I just I need to change with this, folks. I just do. I need to change where it talks about. Um, we forget that there was any joy or value there at all growing up. And man, I register with that. I just do. I look at, to, to be very transparent, there, there, there was neglect, different levels of abuse in my childhood. I need to tell myself, oh, fucking K, just like everybody else on the screen, oh, fucking K. Like it does, I have, I have to stop saying there's some issues in my life now because when I was this, because when I was that, because when I was this, I have to stop it, man. I feel really convicted right now of looking at this. You know what I can do? Kind of, Paul, just what you told me about, about, hey, th this other man in my life is like a, not a barrier, but a doorway. I can look at my childhood as that, that too. I have to stop this shit of it was all bad. It was all bad. And, 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 and look at the pieces where, you know what my old man did? He coached every year I played baseball. He was elected for the Tri-County team when I made that. He was the he was the coach of that team, too. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and my mom always had, you know, she was a housewife, how, how, how women should be. And I'm just joking. I'm just making sure you guys are still with me. But I mean, she was always always at home and there's always someone there, you know, stuff like this. I could I can choose to look at the healthy parts. Now, I don't always need to look at the negative. And I'm guilty of that. So I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to share that in, in, in here. I want to pass with this. But. In a couple paragraphs from now, we're going to start reading about a member who talks about how her, her parent is so frail, the, the, the parent's mind's gone, but she remembers the parent. The parent doesn't remember her in, in that healing process. My, my, my parents are really entering that stage now, and it really struck me reading that. So I have some comments to, to jump in on there, but I'm going to go ahead and pass with that. Thanks. Thanks, Douglas, I think. Go ahead and get him, Eva. I was going to be like, what you talking about, Willis? But not everybody's old enough to know what that means. You guys probably aren't, so forget it. You are, aren't you, Paul? Anyway, um, so two, two different areas, yes, two different areas um, caught my eye. Just this line, honesty and sincerity are almost, almost always appreciated. Um, I think it's more often than not. And uh, my sponsor tells me that uh, you know, I can't go wrong with honesty um, unless she asks if her butt's getting big, and then I can lie. 
Um, but I, I don't know, that sentence just caught me. I thought it was worth saying again. Um, but here, I'm gonna be the opposite of Douglas. And I'm gonna talk about my childhood through rose-colored glasses because when I had a couple years clean and I, and, and I took care of my mother from the day I got out of treatment uh, until the day she died, um, when I had two years clean. So I didn't talk about my family in a negative light. And I had um, made the decision. I, I don't even think I made a conscious decision, but I just didn't talk about my family and um, in a negative way because I didn't want to, um, I didn't want my mother's memory to be negative. And um, so until this last set, this set of steps that I'm on right now, which is relationships, and it talks a lot about family, uh, have I dealt with my childhood? And um, so for 20 years, I have said, I don't need to look at my childhood and my childhood was fine. It was good. And, you know, the truth is, is that there was neglect and um, there wasn't really abuse. I wouldn't, I don't, I don't know how to, anyways, you know, they drank a lot. So, you know, they like to fight when they drink, that kind of stuff, right? And I was just like, that was normal. <laughs> so it didn't seem like it was bad. It just was. So, um, but I would never talk bad about my mother or, um, or my father for that matter. And he's still is alive today and he's we're really super close but I wouldn't talk bad about them so I I for a long time through rose-colored glasses you know like whatever happened was my choice my parents my I said my childhood didn't play into that <laughs> talk about denial um so um this this last set of steps I got to really look at that and I think it's really important that that I look at both sides of it, the good and the bad, right? Um, because I, I hang on to, I have, I have these deep-seated things that I haven't dealt with yet because I won't look at the negative or because I decided there wasn't any negative in my brilliant thinking for myself, not asking my sponsor, not a good idea. So I haven't dealt with some of the behaviors, you know, that comes up with around that, you know, um, fear, some fears, ir, you know, irrational fears and things. So um, I think it's really important that I do both, you know, um, to list, you know, real and imagined hurts, real and imagined, because some are on both sides. You know, it is hard, but if it's hard, then we got to do it because if it's hard, then there's an emotion attached to it. There's an, an emotion attached to it. That is a feeling that I'm trying to cover up. Right. So, um, which is why, why I got loaded. I didn't want to feel. So for me, that's where the connection is. Like, you know, if it's hard for me to deal with, then that's something I really need to look at. So. Um, anyways, that's what I got out of that paragraph. And um, I still think my mother's perfect. Um, was she always perfect? No, but I look at her in this golden light and that's how I wanna remember her. And so that's what I do, but um, I do have to look at some situations. 
So anyways, that's all I got on that. The end. Thanks, Eva. Yeah, I see you, Scotty. You're up. Hey guys, I'm Scotty Monatic. Um, the one thing I like about, I, I think, I guess I'm morphing kind of the first couple of paragraphs that we read into like just this paragraph right here, because I don't think that I would have, I would have been able to have the kind of relationships that I have today if I wouldn't have learned how to have relationships in Narcotics Anonymous. You know, you guys taught me how to have relationships and taught me how to be compassionate and loving, kind and caring, because when I got here, I blamed everybody except me. Um, and, and that one part that, that Eva just read also, the list of real and imagined hurts on both sides can be hard to get past. You know, I had to learn, I'm on my second set of, the, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on my second set of steps right now, and I'm, I'm working on the fourth step, and there's kind of a lot of stuff coming up about my mom, and she's, um, my dad's been deceased for years, he didn't like me, I didn't like him, I'm good. Um, he's, um, he was a fucking dick. Um, and, and my mother, and I'm also, now I'm in, I, I'm in a, I'm in a, a situation where a lot of you have already spoke about my mother's got dementia i'm somewhat her primary caregiver but she, we don't live together that will never happen um but we um but but i'm i'm there 24 7 i mean whatever she needs i'm there and she's got dementia and it's this morning i had to take her to the doctor and she couldn't understand anything and she's like no don't scream at me and i looked at her and said i have never screamed at you you know, you might have screamed at me for years, but I've never raised my voice at you, you know, and, and it's that, per, that perceived hurts on both sides, you know, I, I don't know where that came from, um, and she won't re remember when I bring it up later, but that's fine, I don't need to do that, but I also had to remember whenever I got clean that I had to remember where she came from, and when I looked back at my childhood, I had to remember where she, I had to understand that, um, that she was raised in some horrible, horrible situations. And she did the opposite with my sister and I. She took us to church and gave us everything we ever wanted because they were raised really poor. So she was trying to, and she even, I, I was in a, um, I received a letter. I was living in Seattle, Washington in 1987. And I received an amends letter from her. She was in Al-Anon. I had no idea what it was. No idea what that letter was. It was rambling on and on in the last sentence said, one day I hope that you understand what this means. And then whenever I, whenever I went to treatment and I got out, I'm like, oh my God, my mother made amends to me. You know, I didn't understand what that process was. And it was, I was able to, to really understand um, her program as well and her process. And I think that's where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really having to understand where she's coming from today. And Narcotics Anonymous has taught me how to do that. And I'm very lucky to have a sponsor that has been in my shoes, you know, that has been in my shoes and gives me some guidance. And um, I don't always like what he says, but I respect it. And I'm going to take his suggestions because I've never been in this, in, in this, I've never been in this situation before. And it's, um, it's literally happened in the last two years, really a year. It's been a year. Um, so it's been very, very difficult, but without learning how to be in a relationship with people outside of the rooms, taught by people inside of the rooms, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today, you know? Um, and, and, and it's just, it's, it's been life-changing for me. It's been absolutely life-changing and I wouldn't change, I wouldn't change anything today at all. So that's all I got. Thank you. Thanks, Scotty. Paul, I don't know, read the next couple of paragraphs. I think we're going to, we're starting on if we have an ongoing relationship. Thank you. Thanks, Jane, I will. If we have an ongoing relationship with our families, we may not be able to wait until we get to the ninth step to handle all of the difficulties in those relationships. 
Whether or not we ever make formal amends to our families, we deal with the consequences of our actions and the consequences of our recovery every time we see them. Amends means change and our relationships with our families do change in recovery. Some of us choose to put some distance in there. One member recalled that he had to move away for a while. They were nice people, but I had to find out who I was and I couldn't do that inside my family. Another member found that amends meant not tolerating abuse anymore and felt she finally had permission to step away from a destructive household. So families are tough. I mean, they're, they're you know, I, I would, ne it's sort of like sex stuff and things. It's very, and religion and all that. It's a very personal relationship that I, I hesitate to give anybody guidance. Uh, on because relationships with parents and, and families are so widespread and so myriad. I can speak mine. I am uh, now an orphan. My, both of my parents have passed in recovery and I'm an only child. So, um, so I'm alone and, um, but not, I'm in Nar Narcotics Anonymous. So that helps too. But um, when I came in, I was 27 years old and now I'm 61. Haven't stayed clean the entire time, but that's the, the breadth of, of change. At 27, I knew that it was my parents' fault that I was in Narcotics Anonymous. They had fucked up and it was their fault. They had potty trained me wrong or they had uh, loved me too much. They had loved me too little. They had a domineering mother with a gay child. It's classic. It was definitely, it was their fault. It was all their fault. And then I started to work some steps. And then I found out through the process of step work that true love, true love is to love everything, the good and the bad. I learned that in the fourth and fifth step when I uttered the things that I thought made me unlovable and you continue to love me. I found out what true acceptance and true love was. I did because before that I thought I had to have this rose-colored, like Eva said, these rose-colored images of people to love them. And the truth is, we as addicts know there is a widespread of human condition in just our lives. I am capable of great good and I am capable of great evil. I have done some really shitty things in my life and I have done really wonderful things too. So why would I expect that's not true for the people that are most important to me, my mother and my father? My, my father worked with Dr. King in Atlanta in the 60s for civil rights. My father worked with AIDS patients in the 80s when he found out I was HIV positive and took care of them. It was revolutionary for a straight man to carry a gay man out of his bed into the bathtub and my mother to bathe them with the organization that they were involved with. And that was, that was a revolutionary act for somebody to do that. And my father embezzled money and we had to move from one house to an apartment. My father got into a scheme with uh, the IRS and was sent to federal prison for three years. I love him. I love the part of him that was in prison. And I love the part of him that was 
taking care of people with AIDS. And that's, if I do that, then I can love the part of Paul that's terrible and the part of Paul that's great. And that's what you've taught me here in Narcotics Anonymous. And I can't just, I can't whitewash one part and, and, and shine a light on the other. You told me we're gonna look at the totality of the person. In the fourth step, we look at the liabilities and the assets. Now, my mother, you know, has a, a, a wide range of dysfunction. And she is probably the closest individual to me ever in the world. We are very much alike, very much. My love of words, my love of speaking, my love of, uh, of, uh, of, the, of the grandness of life comes from her. So, you know, I cannot sit here and go, oh yeah, I like this part, but that dysfunctional part, that's bad. That's me. That's me. So, um, so that's the thing about families. The, the good news is, I don't even know, like my aunt sent me a card. You're my angel. I love you so much. I don't even know. And I've called her. I said, I love your card, Aunt Stella, but what is this about? She said, you called and got me a doctor. Oh, I completely forgotten about it. And look, it wasn't hard. I just called a sponsee who's a nurse practitioner and I said, hey, my aunt needs a doctor, can you help me? And he made some ca phone calls. And I'm like, God now, I get cards from my aunt that says I'm an angel sent from heaven. I'm not. I just belong to an organization that taught me how to be of service. That's all it did. It taught me how to give instead of take. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. Anybody else? Okay, then we'll move right along. Barb, I'm gonna start on on the other hand as we recover. Sure, Jane. On the other hand, as we recover, many of us desire much closer relationships with our families than we had before. We enjoy our family and the ability to be present and participate as a healthy, responsible member of the family is its own reward. What we learn about membership in NA can apply to our families as well. When we show up with an open mind and a willingness to be of service, the rewards can be far greater than our efforts. Sometimes those are the direct rewards of finding loving and productive relationships with the people we care for. Even when the rewards are not so direct, we can see them over time. Amending our behavior is something we do not we do not to get a response from others, but to change our own relationship to ourselves, our higher power, and the world around us. As we learn to show up without anger, resentment, or fear, we develop an emotional maturity that we might not have expected. It is a challenge to let go of old ways of being with our families, especially when those ways operated to our advantage. Sometimes in a service gives us a window on our patterns at home. We may see ourselves playing the same roles as elsewhere in our lives. We are acting as a victim or rescuer, the mediator or instigator. Sometimes it's positive and sometimes it's not, but the ability to see these patterns in one area of our lives allows us to change our behavior and all of our affairs. 
And my family stuff, I went to a therapist for. I was taught finance, romance. Um, you know, we can share our experience, strength, and hope, but I'm not a therapist. I can't, you know, I can't advise you about certain things. I don't, when people call me about relationship advice, I, I'll tell them, I'm not going to give you advice. What I know about relationships, I've seen people in the program try to do that. You know, you go to professionals for that. And what I learned from the professionals is that um, the roles of the family, and I watched myself go from the black sheep to the hero child, you know, and um, in recovery, you know, and, and we talked about the healing and stuff, you know, my, my healthiest relationships and, and people in the fellowship, we know that we're not all, you know, necessarily healthy, but my healthiest ones have been in recovery. You guys taught me how, and you continue to teach me how to have healthy relationships. And I've, I've got the relationships like my dad, uh, took off. My stepdad was unemotionally available. My biological dad um, has never, he's come and, and gone. But I found people in the program to be the, to, to fulfill the role of the relationships that I needed, you know. And, and as um, has been said too with my mom, um, it was love-hate. You know, I blame my mom. I came in, you know, my mom, my mom made me, you know, I was a victim to society. I was a victim to my mom. You know, and um, it was through the process of recovery that I realized um, that I was able to forgive her and therefore um, forgive myself because I wasn't a good mom to my first kid, you know, but I realized what I realized somebody taught me in recovery. I did the best I could at that time. Was it good enough? Fuck no, it wasn't good enough. I was a horrible mom, but I was so sick. It was the best that I could do. You know, and I know, I, I, you know, like Douglas was talking about the teachers, I get these teachers, you know, I worked for this lady that was controlling and bossy and talked to me inappropriately, like my mom. And I realized that that was the vehicle for me to because one night I woke up in the middle of the night, this lady was making me lose sleep. And I, t I emailed her and said, you know what, obviously, I'm not what you're looking for. So find somebody else, <laughs> you know. And now I'm working for that lady today, you know, and it's a whole different relationship. She doesn't even bother me or push the buttons like she did, you know, and, um, and, and it's been, it's, it, it's been ways of healing like that, you know, and my, my mom, I remember a time where it said, sometimes we have to go away. I was in therapy and I told my mom, I love you, but I don't like you very much right now. And I need, I need my space. And you know what she told me? She said, I love you take all the space you need and I'll be waiting. And that right there is what healed, you know, and, and then some other work that I did through the steps and through therapy allowed me to heal that relationship with her to where when she died, she was my best friend. I called her every day, you know, because in, in reality, she was the love of my life. I loved her. You know, I, I was like, I will hurt me and I'll get back at you. You know, that was a lot of my life. So you know, it's just so cool how this works and that I get freedom from that stuff, you know, from all that childhood stuff, because it, it goes back to that, you know, it does. So um, I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be clean. Thanks. Thanks, Barbara. Jennifer? Thanks, Jane. Um, there's two parts of this. I'm going to go backwards because I don't know because I feel inclined. Uh, but we may see ourselves playing the same roles elsewhere in our lives. We are acting as the victim or rescuer, mediator, instigator. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. I saw, well, I didn't see it, <clears throat> but 
you know, when I would go to family events and family functions, I would slide right into the dysfunction and I would meld in it and, you know, sit in it and be a part of it. And, and it was comfortable for a really long time. And my ex-husband used to say, man, when you get with your family, you are this completely different being and this completely different person. And he goes, and it's so bizarre to watch you literally get into the fold and get in the muck. And and at some point, and I used to hate to hear that. I'd be like, no, you know, I would totally be in denial about all of it, right? Oh, you know, this is just my family or whatever. But at some point, I really did see. And the more and more I participated in the process of recovery, the less and less comfortable it got, right? And then I was bucking it, you know? And then it was this opposite reaction of, well, then I'm just not going to go to family functions anymore and fuck them. You know what I mean? That I can't be a part of that. And, and then... When we go to this sentence, it says, as we learn to show up without anger, resentment, or fear, we developed an emotional maturity that we might not have expected. So my note here is once I stepped away from the hurt and the pain, I could be of service. I could be of service to my family. I could be present and available without diving into the dysfunction and without being resentful and angry and bitter about what I was walking into, right? I could show up, I could enjoy the moments the way that they were. And, you know, and, and today, you know, I, I took a lot of practice and a long, I mean, I'd like to say like, I got that overnight, but I had like 20 years clean when that happened, right? Like it took me a long time to get all the way through that, but it happened. And now what happens is, is I show up and the parts that are really important, right? Like all that you know, weird dysfunction that, you know, that we have, like, that's to the side, right? I've got this beautiful new niece that's two years old. I get to see my, my other nieces and nephews. I get to watch my family come together, break bread, do whatever it is that we're doing. And all of a sudden I'm on the outside looking in, which in my family is a really, really good place to be, you know? Um, and, and I still get to enjoy it and I still get to be there. And at the end of it, when I walk away, I've, I've been of service to my family. I have peace and serenity about what's going on. And, and I don't feel any of that, you know, yuck that comes with families, you know, and Barb's right, man, it is hard, like talking about it and trying to get advice about it. And, and, and I look at my sponsor today and my sponsor is very similar to the age of my mother. And when I asked her to be my sponsor, when I was, you know, 19 or 20 years old, she was literally my surrogate mother. And over time, she has taught me <clears throat> how to be a good daughter. Right. Um, and, and now I get to practice that with my mother. And, and I said this before, and you know, when I was speaking before, but man, my mother needs that help right now. And thank God, thank, you know, thank, thank you, Narcotics Anonymous, that you give me the ability to be of service to her in a manner that um, she can trust me, you know, this like dope fiend that like, you know, stole everything that she had every moment I could get, it, you know, um, thank God, you know, um, and it doesn't matter who she is or what she did or what happened or all that. Um, it's good today. And I'm, I'm so grateful for that. So I'll pass with that. Thanks. Thanks, Jennifer. Paul. Yeah. I, um, there was a sentence in here that just pulled me up. Uh, wait, maybe I missed it. Hold on. Oh, here it is. As we learn to show up without anger, resentment, or fear, anger, resentment, or fear, 
We develop an emotional maturity that we might not have expected. And what that leads me is to see the bigger picture and not just through the lens of my needs, wants, or fears. And so that how can I be of service? I, I, I debated whether even to tell this story, but I took care of my mother for the last five years of her life. And part of that was, I'm, you know, I'm the only child and, I, and I'm gay. And so I helped her bathe. So I would, you know, try to keep some modesty. I would have the hose from the shower and I'd help hose and then I'd let her do her thing. And then I'd hose her down and get the towel in for her and all that. And so on one particular day, there was a lot of blood between her legs and she was in her 80s. So we knew it wasn't that and it was red. And I said, and I looked her in the eyes, I said, I'm going to have to look at what's going on. And uh, she said, well, I guess you're going to have to do that. Thank God you're gay. And uh, I said, okay. So I, I found what it was, you know, something was torn and had to be thing. And she says, well, how did that go? And I looked her in, in the eyes and I said, mother, if I wasn't gay before, I certainly am now. And we just broke into laughter and it was the most wonderful moment. And because of my ability to not be afraid or not to say, oh, I can't do this or I can't be present and just do what needs to be done. I learned that because of y'all. I learned how to be present there. And so whatever you think you can't do, it's amazing what you can with, the, with this fellowship behind you. So thanks. Thanks, Paul. Douglas? Hi, thanks, Dane. Thanks for sharing that, Paul. It's awesome. I wanted to, to talk about a couple of those sentences at the top of page 142. I just think it's really beautiful. Um, now I'm of the perspective like, hey, Narcotics Anonymous will, will definitely, we, we have to work for what we get, you know, and, and, and all that. But this, this kind of tells me like we, we definitely get more out of, you know, we put in a certain amount. I've always thought like, all right, I put in this amount, you know, I received this and check it out. When we show up with an open mind and a willingness to be of service, the rewards can be far greater than our efforts. When I think about that, man, that's been the, that, that's been every season of my recovery. It's like you, you folks in the HP bless me way more than the effort that I put in. You know, it's just really neat. And then the, the rest of those sentences in that paragraph um, really sum up step, step six, seven, eight, and nine. They just do. I think it's really worded beautifully here um, in the focus, starting with amending. The focus isn't on I need you to approve of me. I need you. I need you to do this and I need you to do this. It's all about this. It, it says, look, I'm not doing I'm, I'm not amending my behavior. I'm not changing. I'm not fixing. I'm not I'm not correcting the, this incorrectiveness right here, this wrongdoing. So so I can see what your response is. But it's to do this things that we learn in step six and seven. It's like, hey, I'm hurting myself, I'm hurting you, and I'm putting static in between my conscious contact. Right? I identify those and I ask God to remove those in six and seven. And then it talks about Paul, like what you were just talking about. It goes like this. And then we show up without anger, resentment, and fear as a result of six and seven. We move into eight and nine and saying, if I wronged you, allow me to mend this, allow me to go ahead and fix that broken link with my actions and then the payoff is man i can i can have this emotional 
this emotional maturity, this level of emotional maturity. It's just fucking wild, man. It's just fucking wild when I see that process. Like I don't have to, I don't have to react how I know I'm going to. I'm fucking free, man. I can act like an emotional mature person, which I getting clean. If if you told me I could handle something with some level of an emotional maturity, there it was laughable. It was laughable there. It really was. And now I can have a conversation and 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 I can accept this man's not a wall. He's a is a is a doorway with emotional maturity and saying, you know what? Yeah, that's right, man. That's right. It's, it's just neat, man. It's, it, it, it's wild. So those are the comments I wanted to make there. Thanks, Dan. I'll pass. Thanks, Doug. Uh, oh, hi, Lee. Hey, Jane. Um, and those guys, the last two shares really covered a lot of it. Um, before we got here, I had that part that Doug was just talking about highlighted. Uh, amending our behavior is something we do not to get a response from others. And, and that is the sum of, of the 12 step process, six, seven, eight, nine. And to tie it into what we were talking about before that, that's when my real forgiveness for, for hating my, my dad, which I've really eliminated that word. I have to use it in that context, but I've really eliminated that word from my life. But after, after several times through the steps, I wanted to be different. I wanted more of what the Narcotics Anonymous process was giving me. <clears throat> and I didn't do it to, to, you know, so that way Jerry would prove of me or, or Paul and them. Um, it became an internal drive to become the best version of myself. And, and because of that, just like a lot of other people have shared, I took care of my mom with the help of, of a facility the last nine years of her life. And, and that complete amends was unthinkable when I arrived in this process. The black marks on my soul that I came here with were gonna be there forever. Eight, nine, and 10 wasn't gonna do nothing uh, sharing the horror stories in the fourth step wasn't going to do nothing. I, I couldn't believe it when I even put things down on paper that I said I would never, ever say. And so Narcotics Anonymous's process undid all of those things. It gave me the ability to forgive my father, which I would rage fighting people, you know, in bars or on the street or wherever because of fighting him as an 11 year old, having to go get him from the bar, literally two, not even two blocks from where I'm sitting right now. My mom would make me go get him and he and I would physically fight all the way home. And, and, and by the time I was 13, I could beat his ass. And then he died right after that. But the, uh, the uh, resentment, anger and fear is a part of, of, of our literature, the triangle of self-obsession and remarkably, those can be uh, related to our past, present, and our future. Resentment, past, anger, present, fear, future, and can be changed to acceptance, love, and faith. And I, I've been given way more than 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 what I what I what I've tried to give back. So I just wanted to jump in for a quick minute. Thank you. 
Hey, thanks an awful lot. There's nobody else. I sure appreciate all of you guys' honesty and and uh, digging a little deep and talking about some stuff with family. Family stuff is not always a, a good. We are so fortunate. We are so fortunate to learn about uh, fear and honesty and growing up and the process and and the support that we get from everybody. So it's a it's a great fellowship and. If for anybody that's fairly new out there and still in the it's all their fault stage, it's okay. It's okay. We we all needed to go through that to get to here. And and what a wonderful journey you're going to be on learning about families. And and uh, my family didn't change, but my perception of them changed. And uh, and therefore my feelings changed. Uh, so thanks everybody for joining us. Thanks to the panel for all you have to say. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so.